0: Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. It's my pleasure to bring you part two of our series Stumped on Sustainability. Today we sit down for a one-on-one with Graham Packaging's Chief Sustainability Officer, Tracy Ald. Having done close to fifty of these podcasts, I can say without hesitation, this was one of my favorite conversations. We easily could have spoken together for another twenty minutes. Tracy's passion for sustainability is obvious right from the get-go, and she paints a pretty convincing picture on how sustainability can make economic sense for your operation. Graham itself is already close to making its full line of packaging 100% recyclable, reusable, or compostable, well ahead of its 2025 target. It's certainly not a must to listen to part one of this series, but I urge you to go back and give it a listen after this to get the full picture on sustainability and packaging. And with all of those introductions out of the way, welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thanks,
1: Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk to you about this. Um,
0: the, the pleasure is all ours. You are actually the first chief sustainability officer we've ever had on the podcast. So with that in mind, how was has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted sustainability programs?
1: Well, it's really interesting because, you know... Um before COVID started, there was a lot of concern of our customers in relation to certain aspects of sustainable packaging, and so you know the real concerns that they had were uh, revolving very much around: is this product recyclable, and uh, what is is there a recycled content in it? And so. But that was really the whole world of the majority of the concerns that we were seeing as a packaging company. Um, For us at Grand Packaging, there was another aspect of that that really wasn't coming out when we were talking to people in terms of their concerns. And that was uh, uh, the overall environmental footprint of the packaging. But since COVID has started, so we're actually seeing a change in the dialogue around packaging. It's not lessened the concern about recyclability and recycled content, which is great because we want it to. Mm -hmm. But what it's done is it's really highlighted this additional element. It's really put kind of a science-focused, evidentiary-focused lens onto packaging and wanting to understand What is the environmental footprint of individual packaging? And so that could be, you know, plastic packaging versus, say, glass or metal or individual types of plastic packaging, because not all plastics are the same and they don't have all the same kind of environmental footprints. So it's a it's a key differential between what we saw before versus what we see now. Uh, we were a bit concerned, I'll be honest, when COVID started as to what that was going to do to people's commitment to sustainability. Uh, it didn't decrease ours at all. And I'm, I'm really happy to say that, you know, while we did see some decrease in specifically, and I would say the legislative space where pre-COVID we saw a lot of legislative activity, states looking at adding recycled content uh, requirements within their state, that seemed to be put on hold as a result of COVID. But companies and brands and retailers, they probably had a hiccup of a couple months while they just really focused on what was going on. But I would say they're now really back at it. And now with this additional layer of environmental footprint.
0: Interesting. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of sustainability and you know COVID nineteen and the pandemic is that everything is you know you're you're using a mask and you're throwing it away and you're using gloves and you're throwing it away and it just seems so anti-sustainable. Or that's probably not the right phrasing, but yes. from what you're saying, it, it did. It seems like there was a little bit in the beginning, but society has kind of stuck with the sustainability through this.
1: I would say that that. Society has stuck with it. In fact, um, increased. But you know what you just said really highlights a, a really interesting point and overarching concern that uh, that I have, but that you know many people out there have, which is that you know you need in order to really get sustainable packaging and um, and achieve the right results it is not just the packaging companies and it's not just the brands and it's not just the, the retailers. It is all of our responsibilities to contribute towards that solution because we can make packaging with the lowest environmental footprint that's fully recyclable and is 100% recycled content. Somebody doesn't actually throw it in their recycling bin. It does no good. So that kind of personal responsibility of us individually as consumers and what we also need to do to contribute towards the end solution is so important now. And, you know, your point about the masks um, that we're seeing it it only becomes waste when we let it be waste. You know, the the ability for us to recycle our packaging is there. There's changes that have to be made by packaging companies and you're definitely seeing that more and more. So at Grand Packaging, we have our, you know, a, a goal of one hundred percent recyclable packaging by twenty twenty five. We're all- Ready over 95% there. We're not there yet. We got a way to go. And we've got responsibility in this. I don't want to take away from that at all. But we need everyone contributing towards this outcome and, and the solution.
0: That's kind of segues perfectly into because you guys do have this really robust and impressive um, Graham packaging uh, 2019 sustainability report. And it talks about the great programs that you guys are, are working with and your progress. And and it indicates that there's a couple of, I guess, life cycle analysis that you guys, I guess, planned on completing in 2020. and, And life cycle analysis is obviously very important. So I don't know, did the pandemic put a hiccup in you guys running these life cycle analysis or is that something that's still carried on? Could you speak a little bit about that?
1: absolutely um there is no hiccup i'd say we're already uh, we've already completed more than 20 of these life cycle analyses and what we do for those so just you know in, in case anyone's not fully familiar with what those are we mm-hmm. used to say they were like a cradle grave analysis of of a product to kind of understand what its environmental footprint is. So you know how much energy it's using, what's its carbon footprint, things like that. Kind of the reason that you do it is to set a baseline so that you can also then see what levers you can pull to make changes to lower that footprint. Because you know your your ultimate goal should be to have the lowest environmental footprint possible and so you know we work closely with our customers in order to actually carry out life cycle assessments with them we partner with them so we're evaluating not just the actual packaging but how that packaging works within their whole supply chain and so that that goes right from the the base raw material right through to kind of the end of life, which actually, you know, end of life is to a new life um, and how all of those, you know, play together. So we're already over 20. I think our goal was 25. Um, we're already over 20. The reason that it's so important that we do these life cycle assessments and continue to work on these in the future with our customers is, you know, I said earlier, it allows customers and us to help customers to make kind of real data driven decisions that have real environmental benefits. And so we can show customers in live time how if, you know, if we work with them to redesign a package, so this is even potential customers, we can redesign a package, we might be able to lightweight it, taking out some of the plastic We can include PCR, so that's post-consumer recycled is the recycled content. We can optimize a package for freight, so that's going to mean less trucks on the road. We can not only tell them what the environmental footprint of their package is within their supply chain, but we can also work with them to make changes to that in order to actually have a better environmental outcome.
0: Now that, I mean, I have to think that's huge because what I seem to see... Um, I've written about sustainability kind of back when it was a buzzword. I'm not going to say how old I am. that's not important. <laughs> but, um, but basically, it, it seems like it's always a a money is the issue where people want to be sustainable and they want to um, you know, recycle and stuff like that until they realize it may cost a little or it, it may you might not see the initial money benefit right away. By showing this in real time, is that kind of is that kind of helping them show the not necessarily return on investment because that's not really what sustainability is trying to gain, but is it is it helping in that that showing them that where their money, the extra money that they may be spending to do this, is helping right away? Is that did that question come out the way I wanted it to? Is that clear? <laughs> I,
1: I know exactly what you mean. Um- So, you know, for us, sustainability actually has three pillars. So there is the absolutely the environmental pillar, and that is is absolutely key. There is also the social pillar. So, you know, how we interact with our communities, with our employees, um, our diversity and inclusion programs. And then the third one is economic, because, you know, companies and, and brands and retailers, in order to actually make sustainable sustainability decisions you know in order to make those long term decisions they have to make economic sense and so being able to demonstrate to customers why sustainability makes economic sense for them is a fantastic tool to make changes stick. Um, it allows us to, to really convince people that this is a change you need to make. There's also, you know, from that economic point of view, it, it's also on uh, you know packaging companies like us um, and partnering with, uh, with the brands to come up with innovative solutions that are economic but have that sustainable benefit. So, you know, if you look at it all as as a great big challenge you know economics should not be um it should not be something against sustainability it should just be something that has to be kept in mind and in some cases overcome in order to have long-term good benefits
0: right and using it as a deterrent saying it's a deterrent is really just an excuse at this point is
1: I would say it's, it's laziness.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it's laziness. laziness.
1: <laughs> it is because there is there's always another way around. So mm-hmm. some some solutions might not be economics, and that's okay. So then you look for what is the other solution? How do we overcome this problem to come up with a better environmental outcome? You know, while keeping in, in mind all of the necessary factors.
0: I like that. Okay, well, well grant Packaging is is a member of the Ella MacArthur Foundation, and they're they're very big on kind of accelerating that transition to a more circular economy, which kind of supports what we were just touching on. Could you share, I guess, some of the objectives of the group in general, and I guess how it's helping Grand Packaging in particular, how it's helping you guys achieve your sustainability objectives?
1: So the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is great. And it's got four primary goals and so just to kind of touch on them at a very high level and and then how we at graham work towards those goals so the first goal which is the goal that you know everyone uh hears about it's all over the press um which is 100% of packaging will be recyclable, reusable, or compostable by 2025. So I already said earlier that, you know, that's, that is a a goal of grams and we're already over 95%. So we've been uh, carrying out an analysis of our, of our products and we are close. Um, Gram packaging only uses three plastic resins in our packaging. And so that is PET, which is the kind of traditional clear bottles that you see with the number one on the bottom of those bottles and then HDPE, which is generally more opaque that you see in the likes of, say, a laundry bottle and then polypropylene, which is, for example, on like a yogurt container or shampoo bottle. Uh, It's a little bit uh, a little bit more durable, uh, especially in heat. those those resins are recyclable. There are things that, for example, a color of a package might affect its recyclability. So our resins that we use are recyclable. Where we have to work with customers is where if there's a color that's been added to the package, because for example, a customer might want to make a, you know, a branding choice, then that color might affect the recyclability of that package. So We're still, we're on track to meet our goal of 100%. And having that as a public commitment really drives us towards that, but it also drives our customers towards, towards that. So it's really great because it aligns the industry towards common goals. The second Ellen MacArthur goal is that everyone's committing to have a minimum amount of PCR in their packaging. So that's PCR post-consumer recycled material. So that's recycled content. And Uh, This one, we have committed to 20% as an average kind of across our packaging by 2025. So that's the other thing. It's, it's a it's a date. This one is really interesting because it's not that, you know, for ourselves, we've, we've made packaging that's 100% recycled content, 100% PCR. The biggest thing that is concerning a lot of people here, especially in the US, is the availability of recycled content to put into the material. So I think everyone would actually have much higher goals if we had more recycling going on, so that we could get access to that material to put it back in. But so, yeah, our goal is twenty percent. We would love to make it higher. We have the technology to make it higher. But you know, we we want to work with uh, with infrastructure and and more broadly to hopefully make more ensure that there is more material available in the future.
0: Can I jump in for one second? I'm just I'm really curious before you get to third the third and fourth, is the the bigger issue that there's nowhere to take the stuff to be recycled or the people aren't putting it in the proper container, et cetera, to get it recycled?
1: It is a, a, a whole bunch of different issues. So okay. we have uh, we have aging recycled infrastructure across the U.S., we have inconsistency across counties uh, with different cities about what is recyclable, what is not. Uh, that creates confusion with consumers. They're not sure, can I recycle this, can I not? The, uh, the how to recycle label that, you know, in the grocery store, you're starting to see that more and more on packaging. That label is fantastic at trying to overcome that issue about consumer confusion. In addition to that, you, you have cities and counties that don't have recycling of the structure in place at all. They don't have curbside collection. There is nowhere to recycle. But then you do have other areas where they might have a recycling system. And so they've decided that it, it might not be economic to recycle all of the different types of material. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot of changes in the last couple of years where there was definitely some counties that were deciding not to recycle paper. Um, It's not that they couldn't, but it's expensive uh, to do it. There is a cost to do it and they had to find the funding in order to do that. So there is, there's also with the aged infrastructure, um, the aged infrastructure actually relates to the third Ellen MacArthur goal and certain things that, are difficult to recycle. And so this is a perfect segue to the third goal, which is getting rid of problematic plastics. The the commitment to do that. So I already said that Graham doesn't we don't really use problematic plastics, but but what problematic plastics actually includes is things like, you know, the um, expanded polystyrene foam or, for example, um, PVC. So it's not that those products cannot be recycled. As a general rule, you can recycle almost anything If you actually are willing to pay to do it, to collect it and actually have the machinery available to do it. But most places don't have the infrastructure to actually recycle those plastics. But in addition, there are, based on the age of the machinery and how it actually works... There are sorting issues with certain materials that need to be overcome in order to increase the amount of recycled available. And what I mean by that, so I said earlier that um, you know one of the things that standing you know that we need to overcome. Uh, to get to our 100% recyclable goal, is certain colorants, and so specifically, that's dark colors, so that's uh, black or very close to black colors. And the reason why those colors are not recyclable, it's it's actually not that they can't be recycled; they can. There's there's no actual issue with the physical recycling. The issue is that the vast majority of infrastructure that sorts plastics is actually done via infrared sorters. Infrared can't see black. Just goes through right to the end and it ends up in waste. So, you know, these goals are about trying to overcome some of the structural issues. You know, like it would be great if we all had brand new recycling infrastructure everywhere, but that's that's not practical. So, okay, what we do with what we have in order to Maximize that recycled, uh, recycled content. There's actually a lot of innovation that's going on in that space specifically around the black plastic. And we've actually, we released a, a bottle last year with a customer and with a colorant supplier that we worked with to use a very specific black that had the look of black, but could be seen by infrared light. Specifically, to allow it to be seen by the recycling infrastructure and recycled. A lot of interesting things that that push us and push everyone in the industry towards better outcomes. So yeah, those are that's three of the Ellen MacArthur goals. And then the very last goal is actually you know focused more around developing reusability where it makes sense. And so, grand packaging, we actually have a reusable bottle market primarily in Mexico. Uh, with returnable pop bottles, we have those in plastic, where they can actually go through 25 circulations. You know, of reusing that. So you bring the pop bottle back; it gets washed out, it gets refilled, and it goes back out. And so it it can go through 25 turns. We don't really have reusable infrastructure here in the U.S. to be able to, you know, use some of our products that we can make. But where those exist in other countries, we definitely participate in that. And we're definitely seeing some of our, uh, you know, some of the big brands, you know, have interest in that space, too.
0: Very cool. So we're going to... Just take a little detour away from the sustainability just for a second, um, because I know that you guys at Graham work with um, some high pressure processing products. And I know that HPP, um, we've done some podcasts and talks about all the great advantages in terms of clean label and and freshness and nutrition. And they're, they're really healthy alternatives that people are drawn to. Have you guys through your, you know, I know you pay attention to the trends and what's happening out there. Have you seen anything that would lead you to believe this is something that's going to grow for your business or any advances or, or products on the horizon?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so the the HPP process is fantastic in the whole preserving, accentuating the great flavor of the fresh fresh fruit and vegetable in the in the especially in the juice market and also preserving those nutrients. And I know that your listeners know that, but I highlight that because the trends that we are really seeing especially in the wake of COVID are this whole focus on health and wellness. And so where you have a market that's really focused on the health and wellness elements um, and the HPP process, being able to, to really allow those to shine, the trends coming out of that focus is really gonna help that whole market. And so, you know, we partner with juice manufacturers. We actually use the PET, so very glass-like transparent container, also to let their products kind of, you know, shine through um, and fully, of course, withstanding the HPP process. But, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to be able to partner with Customers like that that are also going to get the benefit of what we see as a real surge in that whole area. The other aspect of this that we're following very closely and I'm very interested to see is is how it relates to e-commerce. You know, a lot of the uh, the HPP, but they're also focusing is on of course, increasing the shelf life and allowing for that product to go through the supply chain and the e-commerce space, you know, being able to get things through to customers without necessarily hitting the store shelves. That is a really interesting space for, you know, the the potential for fast delivery through a whole bunch of different avenues that might not have been as open before. The e-commerce shopping channel wasn't I think I read a stat uh, recently that uh, 41% of Americans are using online grocery for the first time ever uh, as a result of COVID. And so, you know, this is really opening up new markets for people to be able to leverage. So tied e-commerce with health and wellness. There's a bit of a perfect storm there, really, for products that are focused on the health benefits, but being able to have you know the shelf life to get those into the customer's hands.
0: That's really interesting because I wouldn't think of the types of products that high pressure processing is involved with, let's say a, use a fresh juice as an example, since that's usually tied with high pressure processing. You wouldn't think of that as something that you would be able to get via e-commerce just because of the reasons you said, it's gonna take time to get from point A to point B and now that that has built up, e-commerce is growing, people are using online shopping more and the, the lead times are, are closing a little bit. That's giving it sort of an opportunity for people to order that kind of stuff from the comfort of their homes.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's what we kind of seeing with this type of product, with, with a number of actual products. So it's, it's kind of that whole shortening of lead times generally as that infrastructure is, is really coming on board to service people right at their homes.
0: Really, really cool. Really fascinating. Well, we've already taken more than 25 minutes of your time and I don't want to take any more because it it was awesome for you to come on with us to begin with. Um, Thank you so much for, again, taking time out of your day and sort of bringing us up to speed on all of this uh, sustainability and HPP content.
1: No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I do love talking about the subject.
0: So uh, I was very happy to do so. Please rate, review and subscribe. To do that, Go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with TMMI.